Um, we're going to continue in John 14 today, so you can go ahead and open up there. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in the suburbs of Toronto, Canada, um, up north. And um, when I was about 11 years old, like 1994, I remember hearing my parents, and it was on the news too, but I remember hearing my parents talk about something that was happening at a church in Toronto. It's called the Airport Vineyard Fellowship, Toronto Airport Vineyard. Um, again, 1994, something that's coming known as the Toronto Blessing. And what basically was happening, it was a church where the, they were saying the manifestation of the Holy Spirit showed up manifestation of the Holy Spirit. People were taking in tongues, people were being healed, there was prophecy happening. But the part that I remember hearing about the most was that there were people apparently barking like dogs, roaring like lions, exhibiting those kind of behaviors and saying it's because the Holy Spirit was, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were manifesting the Holy Spirit. And so from this time on, and I grew up in a more conservative Baptist type tradition anyways, um, I kind of started building walls when it came to anything about the Holy Spirit, worried that if you pursue or you go lean too much into learning about or, or learning about the Holy Spirit or wanting to experience the Holy Spirit or whatever with the Holy Spirit, that it would lead down this path where I was doing things that weren't from the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I remember some people have experiences, apparently, things like that, some of your responses. And I remember, and it was nothing intentional. It's not like my parents sat me down and said, like, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. It wasn't anything like that. It was just kind of the natural kind of what started developing. And I remember in, in, in the tradition I grew up in, there was a, just a running joke that the Trinity was God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture. Like, that was the Trinity. Because you didn't just lean in and emphasize. Because there was just confusion and fear and just lots of things about what happens when you get involved with the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, it led through college where I just did not learn about the Holy Spirit. Like, I could tell you the Holy Spirit lived in my heart, and that's about it. And that's probably all the Holy Spirit did. But there was no really understanding of what does Scripture actually teach us about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is for and what the Holy Spirit does. And it wasn't until I really started dating Kristen and gained another family, and they had more comfort in, in experiences with the Holy Spirit and just really started opening me up a little bit to what does scripture actually say when it comes to the spirit of god and so today as we look through this um, section in john 14 i don't know where people are what our experiences are when it comes to the holy spirit just me saying the word holy spirit might put some of you on edge some of you might be like nope i'm totally comfortable we all have different backgrounds with that but jesus starts talking to his disciples about how he is going to be leaving and someone will be coming to be with them going forward, a helper with them, that is the Holy Spirit. And so we're continuing this series that we started in August on the Gospel of John. We still have months to go um, to be with it. But the first part of John, we saw is taking years of Jesus' life, telling us the story of Jesus starting his ministry, calling his disciples, the miracles he was doing, the teachings he was doing. And now we're getting into the time period where he only has hours left with the people he loves. And John, the author of this book, who's one of Jesus' disciples, is identified as the disciple that Jesus loves. That was the name for him uh, that he gave himself, but I'm sure Jesus called it him that too. Um, he gives us an inside look at this conversation that Jesus is having with some of his closest followers about what was going to happen when he was no longer here and Jesus was no longer with them physically. Jesus knows his time is almost up. They've had the Last Supper. 
Judas Iscariot has gone to begin his process of betrayal of Jesus, and the disciples are wrapping up, and they're about to head to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and from there, Jesus will be arrested and begin the march towards his crucifixion. And so like Ernie said last week, Jesus is starting this time there. If you had the opportunity to say the last words you had for the people closest around you, the things you wanted people to remember about you, about what's important, about all this stuff, what would you say? And Jesus knows he has hours left on this earth. By the end of the next day, he will be dead. And so he's leaving his disciples, his closest followers, with his last words, his last instructions, his last things about what they need to know before he's gone. And he starts telling them about someone who is going to come when I am no longer here with you, and that is the Holy Spirit. He's setting the stage so his disciples can look back years later and understand in hindsight what Jesus was talking about. They have no clue what's going on. They still aren't buying the idea that Jesus is going to be dying and resurrecting. Like, that's still a a nebulous gray area for them. They're confused. They're like, why does he keep talking about dying? What is going on? We'll see later, Peter chops off a guy's ear. Like, they're pushing back against this, but Jesus knows what's happening, and he wants them to know that you need to understand who this Holy Spirit that will be coming to you is. So we're going to go ahead, we're going to be in John 14, starting in verse 13. We're going to read through the whole passage. I'll pray, and then we'll start talking about it. Verse 13, this is Jesus again talking to his disciples. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know of him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet the little while and the yet a little while and the world will see me no more but you will see me because i live you will also live in that day you will know that i am in the father and you and me and i and you whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him and then judas not iscariot said to him lord how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will know, or sorry, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but my father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father." Now rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for the opportunity to reflect on your words to your disciples, Lord God, as we learn about the Holy Spirit. I pray you open our hearts and minds to hear what you are teaching and what you have to say for us, Lord God, as we reflect on these last words that you had for your disciples. In your name we pray, amen. 
So the Holy Spirit has a complicated history with the church. Even the early church fathers like Athanasius would say that we should deal with the Holy Spirit with restraint. And like I said, when in, in the American church, really, depending on your tradition, there's a wide range of beliefs about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit still does, has done, will do, all that kind of stuff. Um, in some way, like on one end of the extreme, there's traditions that believe that the only way you can demonstrate that you are actually saved by Jesus is to manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues, things of that nature. That's, that's your proof that you're saved, and if you don't do that, you're not actually saved. And on the other end of the spectrum are traditions that believe that the Holy Spirit no longer is active supernaturally in the world today, that he was through the first century church, but once the church was established, the Holy Spirit kind of takes a break and lives in your heart, but that's all the Holy Spirit does. And everything else in between that gamut exists, right? And I think if I pulled everybody in this room, we probably all would have slightly different opinions or thoughts or, or, or what we think about the Holy Spirit if we were all to put it in words separately. But one thing we do is we know that we can trust on Scripture to teach us what is it the Holy Spirit is. And so we're going to look closer at what Jesus shares with the disciples here when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start with the first point, which seems obvious, but we want to make sure we're all on the same page, and that's that the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is not a nebulous kind of life force. It's not some essence. It's not some ghostly apparition kind of thing. Scripture is clear that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. It's a he. And we see the Holy Spirit all the way starting back from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And we see from the beginning that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit exists. He's referred to as God throughout Scripture. God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, playing an active role in the creation of the universe. He's bringing, actively bringing order to the chaos before creation. And that's not the only place in the Old Testament we see the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit throughout the history as well. Uh, go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel, whose prophet and judge of Israel, took the horn of oil and anointed him, meaning David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So we have Samuel, who's been told by God to go anoint the new king of Israel, that's David. He goes to David's family in Bethlehem. You know the story, he looks at all the brothers. God's like, nope, none of them are king. David comes in from the field. Samuel anoints him as the next king of Israel, and the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon David. We see it later on, too. Second Chronicles 24, 20. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoda, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. So we've seen an example of a king getting the Holy Spirit, now an example of the priests of God the Holy Spirit coming on to them so they can share and communicate with God's people. 
And Peter references this in the New Testament in 2 Peter 1.21. He says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you look, and those are just a couple of examples, but if you look through the Old Testament, you will see repeated examples of certain people getting the Holy Spirit at certain points. Kings, priests, prophets. You read the minor prophets and major prophets in the Old Testament. They are all filled by the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, to communicate to God's people what God has for them or to other nations around them. There's some preset or prophets that were communicating to nations around Israel, but all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was not a blanket. Everyone in Israel had the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit was arriving to certain people at certain times when God needed them to speak for him, to share uh, commandments to his people, or to do certain things, or to lead his people. So the Holy Spirit is not something that just shows up in the New Testament, and that's all we hear about it. There's a pattern and a history of the Holy Spirit arriving in the Old Testament. In Romans 8, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit is one in the same as God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So Paul here is using interchangeable terms, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, all identifying the same thing, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not Holy Scripture, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the pattern we see throughout Scripture when we hear the Holy Spirit, again, not as an impersonal force or some created angel or being or something like that, but as God. And it's important to know and understand that as a baseline because all throughout church history, there are misunderstandings of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. And if you try to explain the Trinity to anybody, it's confusing, right? If you've ever tried to even talk about the, Holy, or the Trinity and how God is three persons in one and they're all the same God and all this kind of stuff, it's very complicated. When I was in youth ministry, I used to describe it as, um, it was a terrible analogy, and I hope I don't get called out by Jesus one day, but... An egg is like the shell and the white and the yolk, and they're three parts of the same egg, but they're all an egg, but they're three different parts. And like, that's a terrible analogy, but like, can you find a better one? I don't know. Sam, do you know a better one? I don't know. No, like, you get, it's complicated. It's complicated. And because of that, throughout history, God's ways are higher than our ways. And because history, I think God laughs at us sometimes trying to describe things. And um, throughout history, there's this misunderstanding about what the Holy Spirit is, and a lot of heresies that church fathers and church councils have had to rebuke. Um, the most popular one at one time was one called modalism, which was God is not three persons as one God, but God has like three different eras, like a Taylor Swift tour. And so like <laughs> there's the father era for creation. There's the son era for redemption. <laughs> Terrible analogies. And then there's the spirit era that we're in now, which is like the redemption period, right? This reconciliation sanctification period. But like God changes at each time. And so it's not one God in three persons. It's like God is three different aspects. It's really confusing. That's not what it is. I'm probably confusing you, and I apologize. But that's not what this is. The point is that the Holy Spirit is one and the same as the God we see all throughout Scripture. That when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't have to be afraid because the Holy Spirit is God. And the God that we see in Genesis 1 
and the God that we see in John 14 and the God we see in Acts 1 and 2 are the same God. <coughs> Whoa, no, sorry. So with that being said, I want to make sure, again, we understand what we believe as a church here at Sojourn. And on the Sojourn website, there's a section called uh, Beliefs and Vision. Um, and on that page, it's kind of like our statements of faith, right? It's all the things we believe about Scripture, about God, about sin, about redemption, about the end of time, like all those kind of things. So if you're ever curious what we as a church believe and hold tight to, you can go on that website, and you can go to that link, and you can lay, see laid out what is our mission and our vision and what are our beliefs. But this is what we say as a church we believe when it comes to the Trinity. This is right from the website. We believe in one God, creator of all things, infinitely perfect and eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are one in essence, but distinct in person and function, having the same nature and perfections. We believe the triune God is sovereign and that all things exist and come to pass by his sovereign will, and that all things will in the end result in the glory of God. That is our statement on the Trinity. And then we have one about the Father, about the Son, and then we'll look at one specifically about the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is fully God, existing equal throughout eternity with the Father and the Son. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus by convicting non-Christians of their need for Christ, giving new birth to believing sinners, and indwelling, sanctifying, leading, teaching, and empowering believers for godly living and service. We believe that all Christians are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit throughout their lives. So that is what we believe as a, as a church when it comes to the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. And as we continue to look now at the Holy Spirit, again, this is our baseline. This is where we're starting from. Not a place of fear or, or antagonism, antagonism uh, towards that, but this is where we believe the Holy Spirit or who we believe the Holy Spirit is. And so Jesus specifically calls the Holy Spirit by a specific name. Can you remember what the name was in this passage? Helper. Good. Thank you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a helper. So the Holy Spirit is, it seems on the screen, you guys could have cheated. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He says this in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So again, the word here, helper, in Greek is the word parakletos which translates as advocate or counselor or as just one who comes alongside us. All those words describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit undertakes. And God knows that when it comes to this life, we cannot do it on our own, right? We are completely dependent on God in making it through this life as believers. And so God does not leave us alone. He has sent us a helper. Jesus was here for about three years, ministry, with his disciples, died, buried, resurrected, spent a little bit more time with the disciples, and then ascended to heaven. And in that absence, he sends the Holy Spirit to be our helper so that we are not alone. So as we are trying to follow as disciples to our master, because we're sinful and we're reckless on our own, the Holy Spirit comes upon us as believers, dwells inside of us, we undertake a process and, uh, called sanctification, which is us becoming a little bit more like Jesus every single day, 
step by step, bit by bit, conversation by conversation, action by action. Because again, we can't become more like Christ just on our own, just because we're trying hard enough. We can't do it. But God, in his love and generosity and kindness to us, sends us his Holy Spirit to be and indwell in us, to help us along in that process as we navigate through these areas of being his disciples. Because he wants us to know that we're not alone. The next part of this passage says at verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Jesus talked about how he's going to die, but then will resurrect and then be with his disciples a little bit longer. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then Judas says, how will you not manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me will not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Again, Jesus wants us to know we are not alone. We are dependent on God. We lean into God. We need his help to get through day by day, and Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is why we are not alone. And John, again, is showing us in this intimate conversation of just Jesus and a handful of other people that John is letting us peek in on that Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for this future where he will not be with them where he would not physically be present with them, but he wants them to be encouraged that a helper is coming. That when he is gone and when he is dead and when he resurrects and goes back again, they're going to feel alone. They're going to feel maybe abandoned. They're going to feel like, what are we going to do? Especially in that time period where Jesus is still in the tomb. And Jesus is trying to build encouragement. So again, they can look back one day and be like, you know what? God was telling us what was going to happen. And we have that same message from Jesus, that we as followers of Jesus have the helper inside of us who helps us along in our journey as being disciples of Jesus. So when you talk about the Holy Spirit, like you can do seminary level, college level courses on all the things about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit does and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There are books upon books upon books and commentaries written on that. And so we're not going to have time to go through all the many, many, many ways that the Holy Spirit helps us, but I want to focus on three things primarily today about how the Holy Spirit, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is our helper? How does he actually help us in things? And so the first thing I want to look at is that the Holy Spirit is our helper when it comes to prayer. Romans 8, 26 and 27, Paul says this to the church in Rome, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Has anyone ever had a situation where you just did not know what to pray? It could be because you're just drowning in sorrow and you don't know what words to use. It could be you're just so overwhelmed in gratefulness and joy you don't know how to communicate that. It could be that like you're sitting down and you know you need to pray and talk through something about your life, about your family, about whatever, but you don't know how to put it into proper words. And you're just feeling like you're stumbling and God's not listening because I don't know what I'm saying and all this kind of stuff. We have confidence, we can have confidence and faith that the Holy Spirit helps us in that prayer process. 
we can be at peace that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. Paul talks about here, we are weak. We don't know sometimes what to pray or how to pray or what to pray about or what words to use, and sometimes we can get confused and think like, may I got to say things in like a spiritual way or like a theological way or any of this kind of stuff, but God knows what we're asking and what we're trying to say. The word Paul uses um, that translates as groaning too deep for words is in Greek called alios, which means words that we cannot utter. The Holy Spirit communicates to God when we have words we cannot utter. When we are too overwhelmed to put things into place, when we are just on our knees in our emotions or sadness or joy or whatever, the Holy Spirit knows what we need and what we're asking and what we want and intercedes and carries that towards God for us. Our words are insufficient sometimes. Sometimes we know exactly what to pray. Sometimes we know what we need to pray for. We know how to be thankful. We know all this stuff. But again, for those moments where we can't, the Holy Spirit, we have that rest and be rest assured that the Holy Spirit knows what we need and knows what we have to ask and takes that to God for us. And the same thing when it goes with just stumbling over our words and trying to figure out what to say. The Holy Spirit takes that to God for us and intercedes for us. Because prayer is not a um, series of passwords that we have to say in the right order to unlock God's blessing or anything or that, right? And sometimes we take this on just out of habit, especially if you've grown up in the church. Like, I notice that I always say at the end of my prayers, and then in Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else? Or say some common combination like that? Or like you start your prayers with like, dear Father God, or like some kind of combination, and you just out of habit say certain words and certain combinations, and you're not, it just happens. But there is no like combination of words that we have to say to get God to listen to us. We have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes what we need to God. Jesus in verses 13 and 14 of this passage says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What this does not mean is like name and claim it like in the name of Jesus, I need a million dollars. It's easy to pervert and, and take this, this passage and like convert it and be like, this well, Jesus said, if, as long as I say in Jesus' name that I'm going to get what I want. And sometimes we do, and it seems like that's actually what happens, right? Like, I need this app. Like, I prayed that Michigan would win the national championship, and they did. And so God is obviously a fan of the Big Ten and not the SEC, and that's just how it happens. It's just what it is. And then Nick Saban retired. It's all this thing. It's all Jesus. Amen. Um. <laughs> but it's easy to, like, to worry, and even with the best intentions, we can sometimes worry that if I say things a certain way, like I'm not trying to like use God as a genie, but I'm worried that if I say things, that the Holy Spirit, have faith that the Holy Spirit is communicating for you. First John 5, 14 says, and this is the same John who wrote the gospel, so he has experience. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Again, not by decoding a secret will of God, but prayer is us aligning ourselves with the character of Christ. Prayer is us aligning ourselves with the will of God. And sometimes we don't know the will of God, but the Holy Spirit does. And it's aligning ourselves with what God wants in the world. It means we pray 
according to his will. So we pray for God's kingdom to come to earth in all the ways that God's kingdom has and will come. We pray for God's kingdom. We pray and we ask for forgiveness and the ability to forgive those who have wronged us. It means we pray to be guarded from sin and temptation. It means we pray for the needs of those who are less fortunate. It means we pray for justice and peace and mercy. It means we pray to be humble and to walk justly like our God. And the Holy Spirit empowers us in this way and helps align ourselves with God's will through prayer. It doesn't happen instantly. It doesn't happen all the time. But when we're praying for certain things, God knows, again, our hearts, because the Holy Spirit is our helper in prayer and intercedes for us. Another way the Holy Spirit is our helper is the Holy Spirit is our helper in our walk, meaning our Christian life. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that apart from the Holy Spirit, we are dead in our walk. And he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, talk about Satan, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By our nature, we're children of wrath, prone to wander on our own away, for God, away from God. And try as we might, we cannot overcome this natural inclination of our hearts on our own. We're not able to. No one is able to overcome your sinful nature just by the fact that you're trying, or any of us are trying hard. But the power of the Holy Spirit within us gives us freedom and peace and direction to follow the will of God. It was never God's design for us to be independent of him. You see this even from the beginning of creation where God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He was present with them through all this. But he wants us to be in unity with him. But how does that happen if we can't do it on our own? It's because the Holy Spirit allows us to first put to death the sinful desires of our flesh. We know we're called to live lives apart from how the world lives. We know we're called to be distinct people. And then there's no possible doubt that we are not a part of the world around us. That's what we're called to in Christ. Rather, we're to be a beacon of light shining and guiding others to Jesus. And it goes so far beyond just like not participating in sinful activities, but rather conforming our entire lives towards the example Jesus sets for us. We see in Galatians chapter 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Again, focusing on the Spirit because we can't do it on our own. I find it really interesting that Paul, the word that Paul uses for keep in step with the Spirit, did you guys know you're getting Greek lessons today? That's great. That's free. Um, it's the word stoichio. Everyone say stoichio. It's just a fun word to say, stoichio. But stoichio is a military term. Uh, it means to keep in step or to march in order. So like from the first century church, it'd be like, you know, think of Roman centurions marching in order in a line, following their commander. And it reminds me of an old Jewish blessing I heard years ago that says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what that meant was in, in first century, rabbis were the teachers of the Jewish law. They would choose their disciples to follow them. And if you were a disciple of a rabbi, you would go wherever they went. You would eat whatever they ate. You would interpret scripture the way they interpreted scripture. You would treat and deal with others the way they would treat. You would be in lockstep behind them in every way. 
And because there were no paved roads and it was dusty and dirty, you could tell who a disciple of a rabbi was by the fact that they were following them covered in dust because they were following so close to the rabbi as the rabbi's walking, they're kicking up the dust that the disciples are getting covered in because they're following the rabbi in lockstep with everything they go. So when we say, may we be covered in the dust of our rabbi, our rabbi Jesus, we are in lockstep with Jesus everywhere we go. And the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into be that lined up right behind him so that's possible. We can't do it on our own. We'll go this way, we'll go that way, we'll follow everywhere. But the Holy Spirit indwelling in us guides us behind Christ and allows us to be covered in the dust of his feet. And then lastly, and again, 50 other things we could talk about. But lastly, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is our helper, not just in prayer. He's our helper in our walk as followers of Jesus, but he's also our helper to spread the gospel. Does anyone get scared trying to share the gospel? Just me? Okay, cool. Just me. Um, I am, and I used to love that Paul lists evangelism as one of the uh, spiritual gifts you can get. Because then I would just say, like, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, so I have a loophole I can get out from sharing the gospel. Um, thank you. But that's not, we're not off the hook. That's not what that means. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission, and to do so, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. After Jesus came back from the dead and was speaking to his disciples, he told them specifically, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. You're going to stay here, and you're going to wait for the Helper to arrive. And then Jesus sent into heaven, the disciples there. And if you read Acts chapter 1, you see the scene where the followers of Jesus are in an upper room, scared, and the Holy Spirit arrives, shows up like tongues of fire on their forehead. They start speaking languages, proclaiming the gospel. And it says this in Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The emphasis Paul puts on there is the word when, not before. So not before the Holy Spirit, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. But when the Holy Spirit arrives, then you will start to be my witnesses. And for these disciples, it was at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit showed up. But for us, it's who we are the moment we become Christians. We don't need to be afraid of sharing the gospel or making sure our words are exactly right or our timing is right or the right people and all this kind of stuff because... The Holy Spirit empowers us, and just like the Holy Spirit can carry our words from us to God in prayer, the Holy Spirit can carry our words from us to somebody else in conviction. We do not save people. We do not convict people. The Holy Spirit through us does. The Holy Spirit is the only one who convicts. And so when there are people around us who need to hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit does that and uses us as vessels because we are being faithful to God while we do that. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. There are repeated examples we see all throughout the whole New Testament of healing, of people being risen from the dead, of thousands of people giving their lives to Jesus at a time. Miracles happening over and over and over again. And that is the same Holy Spirit that you read in the book of Acts that lives within us as Christians now. We might not have the opportunity to stand up and convert 7,000 people to Christ in one day. But you're going to have at least 7,000 conversations in, their, in your life, especially if you have toddlers. 
And whether it's our families or our neighbors or our friends or our co-workers or whatever that looks like, we are called to be the ministers of Jesus to the world, and the Holy Spirit works through us. So we don't need to stress about, do I need to say the right thing? Do I need to memorize the ABCs of salvation? Do I need to do this or that? We can have faith that the Holy Spirit will work through us when it is time. We need to be okay, and I'm, this is not go easy for me, uh, letting go of some control and allowing ourselves to be used by God and allow the Holy Spirit freedom to guide us to spread the gospel. One of the scariest prayers out there we can say is, here I am, Lord, use me. But as we are starting 2024, I want to challenge us as a church to pray that prayer. It takes practice to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's not something where you're like, all right, I'm open to the Holy Spirit. Tell me what to do, Jesus. And then we just get a flood of information and everything we need to say and do it all the time. It's a practice and it's a habit of taking time to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking through us. Talk to that person. Go to this place. Say these things. Do this thing. Whatever it may be. Sometimes it'll be clear. Sometimes it may not be. But it's a habit and a practice we need to get comfortable with doing. And I ask that we as a church enter into 2024, as we've started, with that prayer. God, use me. How can you use me to spread the gospel? Because at the end of the day, it's not this room that's all that's going to heaven. And God's like, well, check those boxes, we're full. We want to proclaim the gospel everywhere we go. We want as many people to know Jesus as possible. We want to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And it's scary and intimidating, but we can have confidence that the power of the Holy Spirit lives within us and gives us the ability to do so. We want to emulate and model ourselves after Jesus because we are his followers, including the hard things of caring for those who need care, sharing the gospel, growing as a community of faith, being disciples of Jesus. And I feel comfortable with this because Jesus knew his disciples would be worried and overwhelmed once he was gone. Crucifixion, post-resurrection. And when we look around his day-to-day life, it's easy to be worried and overwhelmed at the state of the world, at the state of the country, of our neighborhoods, of just fear of how am I talking to people, how am I acting, am I, am I living Christ the way I need to, all this kind of stuff. But Jesus was letting his disciples know, and he's letting us know that you are not alone. You have the helper who is with you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Don't be afraid. I'm giving you peace. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. But I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And we do the same. And then Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Is he faithful to his Father? goes towards the garden knowing that his time has come to an end. So do not let our hearts be troubled or afraid and remember that we are not alone and the spirit of the living God is with us at all times.